0: Hi everyone. I just wanted to give you a heads up on this episode. We're going to be talking about things that might be a little bit uncomfortable. The topics are the abuse of animals and children. So I wanted to give you a trigger warning before you listen to this episode. We don't talk a lot about either of those subjects, but what we do say could have an impact on you. I also wanted to take this moment to thank Sasha for being so candid about her journey. It takes real strength to share your failures in life. So thank you, Sasha, for being so transparent, but also an inspiration to others. I hope you enjoy listening to this podcast as much as I enjoyed having this conversation. And with that, here's Sasha.
1: Hello, I'm Sasha and I have Two dogs and two cats. I have a bauble named David Grau and I have an Amstaff cross-mutt named Hugo. Uh, And I have two cats, Elysius and the Bride of Nine Spiders, uh, both of those being little rescues. Um, And I'm just a handler, uh, not a trainer, who's, uh, you know, trying to focus on spreading education and the, you know, the information that I've been so lucky to glean about force-free training and handling on my Instagrams.
0: So I actually found you, I think it just popped up randomly on, on Instagram. And I'm always really, really cautious whenever I see you know certain breeds before I start following them. Cause I've been burned so many times where like I see a beautiful dog and it's in a harness and I'm like, oh, this is amazing. And then I'm, I start following them. And then a few like days later or something, I see that dog again, and then it's like in a prong collar. And I'm like, no, like, what have I done? Um, so I feel very sheepish about having to unfollow them. But with oh, yours, I I look through lots of the, the kind of like photos and, and the videos, and I was like, I am really impressed. So yeah, I have to, I definitely have to credit you for what you present on social media, because I think it just, Dave, he has that look of a dog that social you know misunderstanding but seeing him and it's very prominently like the photos and stuff of him like in harnesses and the the work that you're doing with food and toys and stuff do you get a lot of people you know like me that are just like oh my god I just want to tell you how great you're doing
1: (laughs) (laughs) well it's all very flattering so thank you um I think in the bauble community or massive in general, but definitely the bauble community have I haven't been able to find uh, very many people at all who share the same views. Um, and there's, everyone's trying to do their best, um, you know, to buy their dog, but also just to stay in control when they've got a dog that, you know, outweighs them, uh, and definitely outmuscles them. Um, uh, but even the ones who will say that they are force-free or positive, uh, you'll see them, you know, the next day in shock collars or, uh, you know, sneakily hidden slip leads or something like that, or, you know, yelling at their dog. Um, so it's very, it feels very lonely, um. But there's a lot of people who do go out of their way to message and it won't be for the whole methodology or it won't be for the whole um, support of or or throwing away of aversives, but people do message frequently and they do um, say that they say very nice things. Uh, sometimes I get a lot of nasty comments, uh, a lot of people being very condescending, especially sexism towards me handling um, a dog who clearly outweighs me. Um, but there's a lot of um, people who will message and they will ask for uh, advice, any, any knowledge that I have gleaned elsewhere that I can impart. Um, and that's what I'm ultimately all about. I'm not here to preach and I'm not here to argue. Uh, I don't want to start conflicts or contention online. um, But I do want, I have a I have this yearning to pass on as much knowledge as I can to whoever is actively wanting to listen to me. And if someone, if anyone can, you know, look at my dog and see how under control he is and how happy he is and how uh, enriched he is, and they can take away just one thing uh, and put it towards their dog ownership, that would be, that would make me so happy. That would That's my goal.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because when you were saying about the whole like sexism aspect, I never really, I never really considered that. So it's interesting it's that- crazy. Yeah, it's interesting that people actually feel the need to message you about that. <laughs> like, <laughs>
1: it's <what? laughs> even when I walk down the street, um, my partner and I, we have we have running jokes going. And, you know, some days when I'm, uh, like, I battle with chronic illness um, and some days I'm just not up to, you know, doing my usual uh, going out and walking and putting all that mental effort and physical effort into training um and I'll ask him to come along and just be that because he doesn't train he's he doesn't he doesn't handle Dave at all uh, and he wouldn't be in control if he tried to take him out for a walk even with like timing of the reinforcements or anything like that that's not his forte Um, but he will go with me like a little shadow and he'll walk behind me because his uh simple masculine presence is all it takes to stop passerbys um from shouting things at me. Um mm. and the behavior won't change from Dave and he'll be as just just as well behaved as always and will be just as in sync as always. Um, or, you know, or as having a bad day as always. You know, we always have bad days every now and then. But um the, you know the comments will instantly change from either uh, you know, ugh, people shout at us, that dog's gonna kill someone, uh, people throw basketballs at us, throw glass bottles at us we get kids screaming at us trolleys thrown at us any sort of projectile um, or abuse almost every walk is guaranteed Uh, but then having a male come along with me people will either not talk to me they'll cross over the road uh, or they'll say very pleasant things um, and be like oh that's a cool dog and then they'll walk on so it's really crazy but yeah uh, simply having um, you know, someone with different genitals on the walk is <laughs> sometimes all the difference it takes um, to just, you know, uh, help the public perception.
0: Wow. That is, I don't even have the words for that. <laughs> I can't imagine that. And the fact that you still go out and don't let that kind of put you off is really commending because I think a lot of people, myself included, I would like, but I think (laughs) a lot of people would find that almost like debilitating to, to even leave the house.
1: It's very confronting. I, um, whenever I leave on my own, uh, to walk Dave, um, I know that he's under control and I'd never put him in a situation where I feel like I might uh, lose control or he might be over threshold and unable to control his own behavior. However, I always wear a GoPro um, strapped to a chest harness and you'll see it in a lot of my uh, photos and videos. Uh, And that's a clear sign that I've gone on the walk on my own uh, because the amount of run-ins we've had um I just have to have it all recorded because anything could happen um and even in my area recently they tried to they tried to get a little staffy euthanized after a massive online witch hunt when a woman set her dog on the staffy uh three dogs actually set the three dogs on the staffy the staffy defended itself the woman was walking alone with her toddler and grabbed her toddler and ran to safety uh, and then they set this witch hunt on this poor mother when CCTV footage came out showing what had actually happened and that the stuffy was just defending himself. Everything changed. The dog was forgiven. People were, you know, people stepped off their high horse. The people who set the dogs on the little stuffy got charged. It's just, you can't, you can't step out of the house without either a male or uh, some solid uh, photo evidence video evidence of what's happening.
0: Wow that's scary. Mm.
1: It's um, I think I think it comes with the area uh, mixed with the breed appearance.
0: So we actually had um Sean on one of the podcast episodes um, and she has a barbell and you know she does I see her doing a lot of work and I think this the kind of there are similarities running between, you know, the kind of situation that you're talking about, but she lives in Wales. I have never heard her mention anything that kind of correlates with what the experience that you're having. So yeah, it's very, very interesting to think about you having to endure that. And the, the scenario of, you know, a female, Walking the same breed in two very different parts of the world and having two very different kind of experiences.
1: Mm. Yeah, no, it's very interesting. And I mean, I'm still very privileged where I live. Um, I live in a very privileged area, and I'm privileged as a person. Um, but it's yeah, it's very interesting the different nuances that each neighborhood and each breed uh, brings to the table.
0: Mm. So um, tell us a little bit about how did you get your start?
1: Well, I didn't have any pets at all growing up, um, not one. And I started uh, looking into vet nursing when I was 14. Um, and I think it was, I was trying to get into the workforce very young. So it was about 14 and a half to 15, whatever the youngest legal age is that um, I was lucky enough to get a uh, job Um as a trainee vet nurse so basically uh, you know basically a a, you know kennel hand or a cage cleaner but I started to learn the basics of vet nursing at that point and basics of handling and jumping into the whole thing it was all very much copycat Um, I'll you know monkey see monkey do I'll do whatever my hires tell me to do and Then I started to get qualified in vet nursing. I went to school and I got my qualifications and it was all learning as I went of how to handle dogs, what was normal dog behavior, what was, you know, what to look for in their emotional states. I, you know, I couldn't even look at a photo and tell you if it was scared or if it was happy or angry, you know, it would, it would have been all very basic knowledge. Um, and then learning from as I went, you know, what was what would get me better reactions from the dogs, uh, what would not get me bit, <laughs> uh, what would get the dogs happier coming back next time. No, none of my vet nursing was fear-free, force-free at that time. It was, um, it was a slow and steady process of elimination of saying, no, the dog clearly doesn't like this. There is a nicer way to do it, so I'm going to do it the nicer way.
0: Yeah. And did you find that you had kind of opposition to doing that with your colleagues? Did they take that on board or were you, you know, were they kind of like, hurry up, you know, we got to get this done?
1: I think there was, I think there was a bit of both ways everywhere that I worked. uh, I I never worked in small practices. Any small practice that I set foot in was very short, short lived. I didn't, I couldn't cope in the small practice life. So it was all very Fast-paced, very emergency theatre. Everything was quick, quick, quick. Uh, and so, for me, um, I was a very efficient, and I liked it. Everything to be quite fast. And so, I would be going very fast, uh, even for the animals, which is a regret that I have. But even then, uh, there would be a- incredible uh, opposition because everyone who works in those those type of centres, from my experience, are very strong-willed you have to be to survive and you have to be strong-willed and opinionated to not buckle under the pressure and get emotionally burnt out Uh, and so it would be very common for people to butt heads and there'd be a lot of arguing amongst team members Uh, and even if I was to put a sign on a cage and say this dog is fear aggressive if you just let it come out of the cage and then put a leash on it it'll be fine instead of cornering it um, and then you get people arguing and shouting and screaming and going out of their way to corner the dog to make a point. It would be it would be constant, just back and forth. And I I don't see any of that as a, a direct reflection on the person. I just see it as a direct reflection on the on the environment and the the type of pressure that was put on everyone um, being understaffed and. Uh, being in those emergency situations where you're trying to prioritize things. Um, but at the same time, if there is a nice way, uh, it's up to us as humans to take it.
0: I had a very similar start. So I started off, um, I actually started off in rescue, really kind of volunteering and doing stuff like part-time and, and then going into veterinary nursing. But I mean, we were we were kind of lucky. There were the occasional situations where I saw something and I thought, oh, I really don't like the way that that dog was spoken to, or I don't like the way that that dog was handled. And thankfully, you know, for whatever reason, those people didn't really, a lot of them didn't really stick around. So we had like a really high turnover of, of people in a couple of the practices I was at. I would have similar situations where, you know, I was trying to do the best I could for animals and would be told, you know, maybe not even directly, but just someone just grabbing the dog or, you know, saying, use this, or, you know, just trying to get the, get the job done essentially. Um, And it was really conflicting for me because at the end of the day, I felt like we were there to help make dogs and cats and animals better, but at the same time, seeing them kind of compromised in these situations. And at the end of the day, like you said, like sometimes you just have to get it done. It some things just need to be done. But in those situations where we could take a little bit more time and care, it was nice that some of us were. And then those people who weren't, generally, I didn't, <laughs> we didn't get along very yeah. well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So have you kind of always been involved in veterinary? Did you get into any kind of like rescue work or how did you kind of transition from the kind of veterinary side to more of the training side? So I
1: I was working like one of the places that I was working for a, a fair few years uh, was also coupled with a shelter and we would deal with a lot of the shelter dogs going through and a lot of the dogs that came in for or cats for various reasons uh, and various states of neglect uh, would end up being you know surrendered for financial cost uh, for financial reasons or um, simply for the fact that the uh, owners didn't want to pursue veterinary care and you'd have to make the choice of is it ethical to euthanize them for you know a flea burden or should we just get them to sign this cat over to us and we'll get rid of the fleas you know. Um, So we were dealing with a lot of shelter pets through there um, and I got I was very eager to have my very first pet as an adopted pet. I was very eager to you know do the whole you know, save a life, adopt, don't shop, uh, whole deal. And I started to look at all the dogs that were coming in um, and to ask around. Unfortunately, I I was in a real tight spot. Um, for, you know, veterinary nurses in Australia are on minimum wage, and uh, so I was barely able to pay for my own meals. Most of the time, I was barely able to pay for my own rent. I was living in a share house uh, with five five or six other people, and we. At the time, uh, we already had a dog that one of the housemates owned, and I wanted a dog that would fit in there and fit in with my lifestyle. And kind of, I, you know, I didn't know much about dogs. I just wanted something that could cuddle me at night and go for a walk every now and then, and we could have a great time, you know, walk on the beach and eat pizza and all that kind of thing. And as I started looking, I noticed that not many people were adopting out to 19 year olds especially not in share houses and you know uh, especially not you know when they're when they're on such an unstable income and i finally found someone who would adopt out to me and i found a dog Um, that I really loved and I got really attached to him fast his name was Benjamin he was a little English staffy he was an absolute pocket rocket severe separation anxiety severe generalized anxiety severe skin conditions Uh, he got kicked by a horse the day I went to pick him up so he had a broken leg when I got him as well Uh, he had kennel cough he had the whole lot and I didn't know about any of this except for the broken leg and the kennel cough so I took him in And I got really attached to him fast and realized that I couldn't leave him alone for a minute to go to the toilet. I couldn't do grocery shopping. I couldn't do anything. And I was too attached to let go of him. So we stuck it out. We went through a few houses together and through a lot of different uh, experiences together. Um, And we finally, six months later, ended up in a rental um, with a few other housemates and I decided to adopt another dog to help in my in my reasoning to help with his severe separation anxiety, which we all know is a bad idea. But I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs>
1: so I thought, um, what better way to fix his anxiety than to get a dog for him to hang out with? Um, and I went looking and I found a beautiful beautiful dog named hugo my little dog and he had just come down from new south wales the north the state north of us uh, from a pound there um and i i had very very low expectations my only criteria was i want a dog and i want one that doesn't have human aggression and that's that was my whole criteria and so i went and met this dog and the He um, turned out he had severe dog aggression, but for whatever reason, on the day of the meet and greet, didn't display it. And I'm not sure whether it was New Handler. He had been through multiple foster homes and he was very scared. So I didn't know if he was maybe shut down at the time. For whatever reason, the stars seemed to align and I adopted that dog. And it was the rescue that I got him through. I was talking to them at the time about different programs with them, different training, and we just kind of parted ways. I thought that was the end of it. Six months or so later, I ended up having to euthanize Benjamin for his severe anxiety. It had generalized um he was doing complete O C D light chasing behaviors. He would see a shadow on the wall and he'd pull his skin off his nose with his claws. He would pull his nails out if I left him alone, like physically pull his nails out so the blood went everywhere. Um, The day that I decided to euthanise him, I I couldn't couldn't, uh, leave him alone. He had to come to work with me every day. And he always stayed in a cage at work. And um, I went to go get him from the cage that he always stayed in. And he had pulled his teeth out in the cage and there was blood everywhere. And I decided I had to euthanise it's very traumatic it's very hard to speak to about even now like 6 years later or 5 years later but i had to i had to make that decision of everything's getting worse he'd been heavily medicated i couldn't afford trainers because of my minimum wage i could only afford to come medicate and do my home home remedies and home training the best i knew how which was balanced once he left i ended up getting back in touch with some trainers i had more money because i wasn't buying two lots of food and it was crazy just you know a couple extra dollars a week I was able to save up you know the hundred dollars for a trainer to come out and help me with Hugo um, with his incredible aggression and it was that information that knowledge I started to realize um, how to help Hugo with his aggression how to help him with his ridiculous lunging on the leash like uh, dislocating my partner's arm Um, I couldn't I couldn't even take him anywhere muzzled because he would grab dogs bigger than him and pin them down by the throat. He was incredibly out of control. And I started to learn how, to, how my training could be improved. And I mean, the trainer that came out was also balanced, but he was teaching me how to do positive things and how to, you know, not keep flying into this frustrated rage and anger. And it was after talking to him that I started to get back in touch with Hugo's rescue group, who were um, very helpful, very eager to get back in contact. And they um, they started talking to me about what I already knew about dog training and how they were, you know, at the at the heart of their um, organisation, Force Free, and how they needed a manager to help, you know, uh, manage all their foster dogs uh, since they didn't have any shelter. They had all their dogs in foster homes and I was able to start going around and talking to foster carers and handing over dogs to them and telling them how to train dogs and how to handle them even in my ignorance I was able to say you know don't do this do this this is how we treat force free this is how you're going to manage these symptoms or this aggression or this behavior issue after the next little bit until we can get a real trainer in And it was through them, uh, through that rescue group, that I started to really get interested in dog training and really get interested in learning more so I could impart more knowledge and I could, you know, someone would ask me a question about their foster dog and I would go, I don't know, I'm going to get the trainer in and I'm going to listen to every single word they say uh, and then I'm going to learn that for the next time so I I can, you know, become more force-free and, you know have more knowledge so that next time someone asks I can I can just answer it straight away uh, correctly uh, without wrecking any dogs or
0: where did you get your information so how did you get that knowledge about what you were doing to help him
1: it's it was a long journey I'd say I don't think it would be any one thing Um, I was raised very um, I'd say in a very hostile environment My my parents were and my whole family in fact were very keen on uh violent interactions and uh very mm, hands-on approach to child rearing which Mm -hmm. honestly left me quite uh quite traumatized um there was a lot of a lot of um situations that I wasn't comfortable with and it was a lot of dominance versus submission um, very a lot of power play a lot of hospitalization from injuries and stuff like that which I'm not, not comfortable with at all um, but growing up I always thought that's how you were meant to treat things and how you're meant to treat animals and how you're meant to treat kids and you that you know that whole attitude of oh your kid wouldn't be misbehaving if you beat it harder that kind of thing um, so when I started to get my hands on dogs and animals it was that kind of Thing of oh your dog's your dog's aggressive it's because you aren't hitting the dog or your dog's aggressive it's because you cl- it clearly doesn't respect you and if your dog's scared of you then it will be ill behave um, and so then when I started to um, get my hands on animals I was you know going online I was listening and watching as much as I could and before getting Benjamin it was all Caesar Milan. And all that kind of, you know, online uh, soap opera type training where everyone wants to everyone wants to uh, have massive conflicts and massive resolutions and massive violence and you know everything. And handling dogs uh, for me, if I was to if I was to talk about the emotional side of things um, it, with that upbringing, if I was to hurt an animal. And it's hard to admit, but if I was to hurt an animal and see the animal cower, I would feel good, and it would be a relief, and it would feel like, ah, like yes, yes, I it worked. The dog listened to me because I heard it, and that kind of, it sounds very sick, but it you get a weird sense of reinforcement because it feels like whatever you did worked, and it feels like uh it feels like you got a treat, um and it's it was very difficult for me to start to switch my thinking over to going no treats are not just for trick training and just for sitting pretty and just for rolling over Um, you know treats are to treats are to reinforce every part of your life uh, for the dog and you know, if you want your dog to stop doing something, it shouldn't be this massive conflict where you hurt the dog and the dog cowers and you feel good. And then the dog just goes back to it. It should be a, uh, okay, I see what's happening. I'm going to manage the situation. I'm going to ease into it again, and I'm going to teach the dog what I do want it to do in a very non confrontational, very soothing way. Um, it's very hard to switch your mindset over from, you know, your whole life of uh, being all conflict and resolution in a very violent manner to going, no, there's an easier way. I'm not going to lose my temper right now. I'm just going to walk away, think about it and come back with a plan and a solution where we can both understand where we're coming from with no, no um, emotional turmoil or conflict or physical aggression.
0: It's always interesting to me because when we look at people or if we know people who have come from those environments in their own childhood, they almost have like two paths. So we have people that have maybe substance abuse or perpetuate that with their own children. Um, And then we have some people who recognize that that happened. And they make a decision to go, right, that stops. Like that's not something that I am going to to do. And whether that kind of happens consciously or whether it happens subconsciously and you just kind of gravitate towards that, but even parenting styles perpetuate how we're going to be with our dogs. We already know from, from studies that if a child suffers some kind of physical or mental abuse early on, it changes their brain chemistry. So they're more predisposed to having those kind of substance addictions or other types of addictions or um, behavioral problems later in life. It is nature and nurture. So I don't want to give the assumption that, you know, if you were, or you weren't in that kind of environment growing up that you definitely would go to that, but we see it in our dogs. If a dog has come from a situation where they have been neglected, it's setting them down a path that makes that next home or you know if they are in the rescue or whatever it makes it harder for that dog and the same with us as as people
1: yeah I totally agree and I I still I still see the signs in Hugo of when I used to use um aversives on him and it's there's it's just once in a while like once in a blue moon every six months I might make a movement or something and the reaction I get is so exaggerated. You can only only imagine what went through the dog's mind, and I, I'll, you know, it's that constant guilt. But you know, it's a, like you said, that decision, um, and it's a conscious decision of going. You know, I've I've grown up. My mind is my mind is you know developed past those childhood years um of leaving you know I left home early and that was the best thing I could have done uh, was move out uh, and get into the workforce um before turning into an adult uh, so that I could get my mind clear and get away from that hostile environment and once I got out of it I started to realize hey like I can have a relationship and never throw anything I can never I cannot get beaten I can I can live a normal life and then when I started to see that in my relationships and see that I could have a a normal conversation without ending up uh getting physically overpowered um I started to really apply that to the dogs and you know the more I learn and the more I think about it looking back it's just it's just toxic it's just that whole mentality of uh you know, dominance versus submission, and um, hurting your dogs, or uh, even applying discomfort very in very uh, specific ways uh, to get an outcome. If if your dog is understanding what you're saying, then it shouldn't need discomfort, and it shouldn't need to feel uh, uneasy around you to be able to work with you and go along with what you what you're saying. And I mean, Dave has been like the most difficult dog I've ever tried to train in my life. He doesn't he doesn't want food. He's very non-food motivated. I, I had a struggle trying to feed him as a puppy um, and I still struggle to get his normal food allowance into him each day. Um, and yet, even with that and him not really being a people pleaser, you know, I still look at him and I still go, I would never ever put you in that instance where you feel you have to do what I say uh, or there will be a very uncomfortable consequence, which I will apply. Uh, I mean, there's management, there's reinforcement, there's plenty of ways I can keep them away from ever being in trouble or strife or running out into the middle of the road. Um, And none of the situations in real life would require me to go out of my way and yell or hit or hurt him or step into his space even um to make him do what i say
0: yeah it's it's an interesting thing because i think we i mean even between the balanced community like we all love dogs but there is a line that just for me I just don't cross into, and it's not to say that I couldn't, it's not to say that I, you know, don't understand how some tools work, or I don't, you know, feel frustrated or, you know, I'm having the same experiences. I'm having the same kind of emotions. Mm-hmm. I just make that conscious decision to be not, you know, I'm just not going to go there and frustration. Yeah. I mean, having like in, has <laughs> has taught me so, so, so much.
1: Yeah. I mean, Hugo was shut down uh, when I got him, uh, which, it, you know, contraindicates his whole severe aggression, but he would sit in the corner of the room for 24 hours a day um, if I didn't put his food bowl in a different room. You know, he would just not move uh, if he was given the choice. And at the time I thought that was fantastic. I thought that was such a good dog. You know, he didn't, he wasn't like Benjamin tearing through doors and finding all my paracetamol tablets and eating them. So he had to go to the vet. And he was just a really good, in my opinion, dog sitting in the corner. Uh, And it was only when I was able to, um, I changed workplaces out of vet nursing and I was able to afford a um, trainer to come and uh, spend and I think it was like an hour every day that I was gone um, to train him, and she did lots of she did lots of free shaping, which sounds silly and sounds simple, but it was the kick that he needed. And all of a sudden, I'd come home and there was a dog who was sunbaking in the backyard, or he decided to come say hello to me when I got home, and it was just the change was insane. I just I don't see the appeal of getting rid of that life in the dog i don't when people brag about how long their dog can do a sit stay for i'm like sure if you want to do an obedience trial but for everyday life why would you want to get rid of their their you know that's it their zest their enjoyment um their nature it just shocks me looking back
0: yeah and i think it's also a um a kind of cultural thing because the dog that you're describing that he was I have had quite a few I mean I remember once I was with I was at the park with Lichen and he was just kind of doing his own thing and you know again because he's a German Shepherd I think sometimes people look at him and if he's not at heel and you know paying constant attention to me then there's something wrong but at the park There was another german shepherd that was there and i've seen this dog on on multiple occasions and generally the gist is the dog is told down he goes down a toy is thrown he goes and gets the toy they say down he goes down a toy is thrown he goes and gets the toy and you know there were a couple of times that i saw that another dog approached this dog as he was in a down and the dog kind of you know stood up as if to to greet this other dog and the person just yelled down and i mean it kind of shook me a little bit i was a bit like down okay like i just didn't know how to <laughs> respond to it and the dog didn't go into the down and the person just said i said down do as you're told And I was like, whoa, like that is impacting me. And I'm all the way on the other side of the field. Like I can't imagine this, this dog, you know, we ran into, it was me and an assistant. We ran into another person in the park and they had a dog and they, you know, commented on Lycan and how pretty it was. And I was like, oh, thank you. And then they said, did you see that other German shepherd? It's so well behaved. And my face (laughs) often gives me away. can't, my face has always been quite expressive. And so I, I naturally made a face, not on purpose. I think it just, something happened. The lady kind of said, Oh, do you not think, and I was also in my, um, in my business gear. So I think that had a little bit to add to it. And she was like, Oh, do you not think he's good? And I was like, he's not being a dog. And I said, like, what purpose does it serve for him doing that repetitively? And she kind of thought, and she, you know, she was like, oh, I I guess so. I just said like, you know what? A dog should be a dog. Like, you know, at the end of the day, if you come to a park and all you're doing is laying it down and and grabbing a toy and laying down and grabbing a toy, why even come to the park? Like, that's me. (laughs) That's me in a nutshell when I'm out. Um, Like, (laughs) but it's this kind of thought process of like, that dog is a good dog because he's doing what he's told when he's told to do it. And it's like, what kind of life is that? I mean, I know as a person, as a human being, like I don't deal well with people barking orders at me. I don't deal with well with people not explaining to me why I maybe need to do something or taking the time to, you know, if somebody's trying to teach me something and they're just kind of going through it and they're, you know, you say like, why do I need to do that? And they say because I told you to. It's like that's and, not an answer for me. Yeah. Like I, I find that very you know, why? And that's sometimes what we need to do when we're looking at our behavior with our dogs. You know, the the classic is um, getting the dog to sit at the curb. I teach sit in my classes, but sit always comes with some extra information. So I will tell people, you know, this is my little spiel about sit. If you want to look at the situation and ask yourself, what am I actually getting my dog? What do I want my dog to do in this situation? And like the sitting at the curb, Do you have to do a sit? Could you ask a wait? Could you ask for a down? Could you ask for anything else maybe and get the same result? You know, people will kind of say, well, I want my dog to sit. And it's like, but why do you want the dog to sit? Because you see other dogs sitting or because you want the dog to just, you know, be safe, be stationary. Like it's not all about the sit necessarily. So we have to get out of this mentality of looking at a dog and going, well, that dog's doing exactly what is told. That must be a good dog. There are times when dogs do need to listen and we do need them to respond. But outside of that, you know, we're asking way too much of them sometimes.
1: Yeah there's the culture has shifted from saying my dog can be a dog and it can you know it can growl if someone uh, some stranger tries to pat it you know or it can it can go I don't know chase a bird and then come back and recall you know it's changed from that to saying my dog has to fit in a handbag not growl at anyone, not defend itself, uh, not ever say no to anything. It can't say no to dress ups. It can't say no to um, being scolded. It can't say no to being walked when it's in pain. It can't say no to sitting when I tell it to, even if it's uh, even if a massive truck has just sounded its air horn, you know, all these things, we're not allowing dogs to be dogs. And everyone's saying that their whole uh, overbearing, super, um, high requirement. I mean, it's not even obedience. It's high requirement. Abuse is old school and traditional. It's not. You know, go back twenty years, and if you reached into a dog's food bowl and it growled at you, you'd be like, "Oh, who's this idiot reaching into a dog's food bowl?" Nowadays, that's a death sentence for the dog. Yeah. You know the <laughs> the yeah the stuff you see on the dog pages, especially for Deus type of breed you know that some kid will jump on its eyeball and try and ride it like a horse and then the dog will grunt or growl or you know god forbid it tried to give a warning snip and the um, comments of abuse and uh, violence towards the dog are shocking it's just we've lost this we've lost this attitude of letting a dog be a dog and I need I mean I'm I'm Uh, very I find it really hard to have a dog not listen to me immediately I have to like even my poor partner knows if I give some sort of directional requests I really need it to be listened to Um, and when it doesn't get listened to I find it very hard but that's me on my own emotional journey trying to learn to control my you know control my emotions and not be like my parents and go okay you didn't do it immediately okay there was a little delay it's all right the world will keep turning Uh, you can be yourself and if I get really angry I'm learning to just get up and walk out of the room or uh, I'm learning to just sit down and tie the dog to a post and scatter feed some treats until I've regained my composure, I haven't yelled, I haven't gotten angry that my dog didn't offer an immediate sit. The dog had a great time getting scattered feet fed treats without me have being tense on the end of the leash. And then we can continue our walk. You know? It's that it's that attitude and that pride of saying, if my dog doesn't listen to me immediately, every single time, a hundred percent of the time, it's a direct hit to my ego and I must publicly uh defend my my self-esteem by you know exerting some sort of horrible violence on this creature you know whether they like it or not i think it's just a show most of the time and i know for me it's my pride that takes a hit when i'm in public and i i don't have them listen to me and i have to make a physical conscious effort to put the leash down step aside wait go no you are a good dog I love you doesn't matter that everyone's just watched you know something you know a dog they don't even care about um you know miss one thing and the walk's fucking fantastic and you know the, the dog listens to me every other time uh and we reinforce every other time it's yeah it's it's an interesting emotional change that has to happen in the community um for people to start treating dogs like dogs again And letting them have that basic human rights of movement and freedom to say you know what i don't feel like sitting right now
0: you know yeah i like to tell because clients do feel especially those with you know more challenging dogs and more challenging behavior you know i will tell them all the time like a person is seeing a snapshot and when reactions happen with dogs they're literally seconds but they can Mm. change the whole dynamic of a a person's mood, a person's day, even a person's week in that moment. And it only lasted a few seconds. It feels so heavy. The impact is that you do feel like you need to address that behavior in order to look like you're being proactive about it. So like in the session, when something happens and the dog reacts, they often sometimes feel like they need to apologize for their dog's behavior or correct the dog because it looks like they're, they're taking some kind of responsibility for it. And, you know, I will often say to people after a reaction has happened, what did you see me do? And they're like, you didn't do anything. And I'm like, yeah, because Nothing I do in that moment when the dog is reacting is going to necessarily make it better. I will try to redirect. So I will try like an emergency U-turn. I will try something to get their attention, you know, a little tension sound, something like that, a positive interrupter and I'll try it but I won't keep trying I won't drag the dog away I'll wait until that reaction has happened and then try to address it because I don't want other people to see me yelling at the dog or pulling the dog away or any type of behavior like that because you know, that message just perpetuates where people see me doing some kind of correction or some kind of interaction with the dog. And we have to start normalizing that if a dog has a reaction, it's absolutely fine. There's something in that situation where the dog is having an emotional response. And just like if a person, you know, if a a child was crying, you're not gonna, you know, get in the child, well, you might, you're not gonna get in the child's face (laughs) and be like, stop crying right now. What do you do? That's not gonna help the situation we're going to, you know, we're going to comfort the child. I can't pick up the dog in that moment, but I'm going to wait until that dog's done and then I'm going to scatter feed and I'm going to assess. Are we ready to continue? Can we kind of take a break? It's no different in my eyes than than seeing something like that or even any kind of vulnerable being. We really need to stop feeling like the compulsion to correct the behavior or look like we're addressing it by shouting, yelling, hitting, whatever in that moment.
1: Yeah. Yeah, 100%. That's that's basically it. And everyone we see, Hugo is still incredibly dog reactive. If I was to let him off leash at any given time, he's he's really good at tracking, uh, and he would be able to find a dog within a, a kilometres radius easy. Um, he's done. He's shown me that multiple times uh, on leash and muzzled. However, if I was to walk parallel with a reactive dog on the you know passing on the other side of the road you know, how many times you bump into them in suburbia. We could be walking along um, and we'll see some strange dogs screaming and lunging and, you know, um, having an emotional response. And we'll be able to continue to treat quietly. We, I don't ask much from him. I don't ask him to do manoeuvres or anything like that. Sometimes I just hold him still gently and I will just treat, feed him as long as he is under threshold enough to Um, take treats while he's observing what's going on and you'll see the dogs on the other end of the road Um, I try to be nice I smile I don't confront or stare or anything like that but people will be shouting at their dogs they'll be kicking them choking them uh, slamming them into the concrete uh, horrible things and it's all it's all their own emotional response of them either thinking that they have to put on a show for me being on the other side of the road or them feeling they need to defend their own self-esteem because they feel like their dog is out to get them or out to, you know, usurp them in some way by showing its emotions. And it's amazing the difference it takes. Yeah. It's the difference it makes with Hugo uh, when I just relax and I smile and I go, you know, I don't talk to them because I don't. I don't want to confront them or make them feel self-conscious. But if someone was to if someone was to approach me, I'd be able to say it's okay, it's fine. We've all been there, and just keep treat feeding my dog. And Hugo, Hugo's attitude is so much calmer. It's shocking the difference it makes when I'm not feeling that that attitude of uh, trying to put on a show
0: it happens sporadically, but I do see people hit their, hit their dog. And it's, it's very triggering for me. I don't know about you, but when I do see those kind of things, the, the emotional impact of that just really weighs heavily. I can't, it kind of ruins my day when I see other people, (laughs) It, it ruins my day when I see people abusing their dogs. Funny that, but it just, I just find it so so, so upsetting. I had one that happened last week and it was just, it was awful. I mean, it was multiple hitting, like screaming in the dog's face and just yanking. And I mean, I don't know about necessarily where you are, but here, no organization that I could go to and feel confident in telling them that, you know, what I witnessed and feel like something was going to definitely come out of that yeah. and I find that yeah. frustrating yeah because I yeah. know that there are systems in place for children you know and even those I wouldn't say that even those are like highly highly effective in some situations but it, if for dogs I feel even more so that there's just there's just nothing there's nothing that I feel like even if I did say something would it have any impact would there you know would even that person be spoken to I just don't even think I don't think that they would
1: No, no. And it's the same way over here. There's, I mean, the amount of cases that came into the vet clinics, even that I would report uh, for horrific, horrific cruelty. And I won't go into the details on this podcast, but things that keep me awake at night and uh, things that I I could never have dreamed of doing to an animal. Um, And uh, you report them and they'll always come up with some sort of dismissive reason for why they, they, why they aren't going to do anything about it um or the um uh, there was one time when there was a in my in my writing not as bad uh, case that I saw of cruelty um, which was up north and it was on camera it was on the internet and that's why I felt comfortable reporting it and not only did I go to the organization um, that is prominent here but I also got a petition going internationally of about 300,000 signatures um, to bring the perpetrators to justice and I was completely ignored. Completely. And to the point where the people who had signed the petition ended up uh, becoming abusive towards me in the emails, uh, sending me uh, a lot of nasty comments and stuff saying that it was, you know, my own uh, fault that nothing was being done. But, you know, you can only, you can only uh, tell people or send the petitions or plead with the powers that be and you can guarantee nothing will, nothing will happen, unfortunately. Yeah, you can't you can't report uh, seemingly mild things like beating a dog um, and expect anything to be done about it.
0: Yeah, it. I mean, I find it just really, really upsetting that uh, even more, I think it compounds the fact of seeing the abuse. And then knowing that literally there is nothing that in the moment can be done because it's just going to exasperate the situation. But equally, you know, after the fact, there's nowhere to really return, really to turn to in order to have some resolution of that. And you know, the one that I saw, I said to to Scott, my partner, like, that's not the first time that's happened. Like for someone to feel that comfortable to be in front of a stranger. Yeah. Me, I was a stranger. And then there was another person there that I'm assuming was a friend or family member for them to feel that comfortable to perform not just one, but multiple hits on a dog. I, I That's not something that's just in the moment he did. Like that's definitely mm-hmm. happening on, you know, some kind of regular basis to that dog. I wish there was something a little bit more. And I know again, even that has it could be abused in some senses. Maybe you have like somebody you don't like, and you could report and I get that whole aspect. But there is a a really big need for more to be done about these situations. Because just like if I saw a child being, you know, having the same thing kind of being grabbed and smacked in the head and stuff like that, that's something that I definitely would feel the need to report or, you know, to have something be done about, but I just feel absolutely helpless as someone who, who really really loves dogs to have that happen and then nowhere to turn to and nothing that can be done is just devastating
1: yeah I can definitely empathize yeah it's it's unfortunate I I just don't see anything really any way that that's ever going to change I think you just kind of it's shut it out of your mind, but then, you know, you keep seeing it every now and then. I just, yeah, I just try not to think about it, unfortunately, when I'm out and about, but it's the same thing that you said. Um, it'll pop up out of nowhere. There's nothing you can do at the time. There's nothing you can do afterwards. And then you're stuck with the thought. Um, and if you do go up to someone when they're in the middle of that, there's no way that anything you say could fix it. I mean, I have confronted people on numerous occasions when I've seen, um, particularly awful instances occurring, the, while it has stopped it immediately, you can tell, uh, you can guarantee when that dog gets home, it's going to continue.
0: Yeah, no, the same. I have in, in previous previous occurrences, I have said things and I have gotten heated and I have, you know, because it's a highly emotional situation on both sides, right? Like the person who's actually physically doing that to the dog and then the person who, or the people who have to witness that, especially someone who's a dog professional, having to witness something that they are absolutely opposed to. It's just high, high, high intensity of emotion. And in the history, when I have confronted or, you know, let that emotion kind of run away with me, it's, it's never been a positive. Nothing ever has productively happened from those encounters where now I really do make a conscious effort to bite my tongue. And maybe I'll say one or two things that, you know, just kind of, that's not okay. Um, and I'm always surprised with myself at how well I handle things like that because, it almost kind of like, it shocks me. And then the words just come out of my mouth. So sometimes I just have that knee jerk reaction. And I remember one, I just, this person had smacked their dog because it hadn't returned to them because it was trying to play with one of my dogs. And as soon as he grabbed him and just started smacking him, I was like, that's not okay. And that was just all that came out. I just said, please don't do that to your dog. And afterwards, I was kind of like, "Oh, I handled that really well." Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no swearing, nothing yet. <laughs> yeah, because it was just like the immediate shock and response, and I had no control over, <laughs> no control over that. But I was like, "Well done!" Like that was very. Then afterwards, you know, I saw that that person again, and it just seething like anger inside of me, like oh god you know like <laughs> around two I probably would have said something different but like, yeah, in that moment I'm, I'm I'm happy with that response
1: and I mean that may be all it takes some days to um, be that compromised that these people need to to rethink what they're doing and like that you know where someone might say to me um, back in the day you know you shouldn't scruff cats and you know that tiny non-confrontational disapproval that makes them think and go back and go let's do some research hey there is a better way to do this Um, I'm going to choose the high path and you know in in the heat of the moment they're not going to listen be listening uh, at all just like a dog reacting humans aren't going to listen and maybe all it takes is that little that little word and that little thought in the back of their head to get some sort of change on the role I mean that's all we can hope for.
0: Yeah. I think you have to have that open-mindedness. A lot of people really, really struggle to change their minds about things. And um, we actually, we had a conversation about Nero's diet because (laughs) he's always, he's always been supplemented with raw since he was a puppy. So he'd have like chicken wings or, you know, I'd add raw bits into his food. He had a, what I thought was a very nutritionally complete cold press food for most of his life. And When Scott and I moved in together, or even when he would come and kind of stay with me and stuff, he would say, you know, why hasn't Nero eaten his dinner? And I was like, oh, he's a free feeder. You know, he, he eats when he, he's hungry. And he kept saying, he was like, I don't think he likes it. He's just not into that food. And I was like, no, no, but it's nutritionally, you know, sound. It's a really good food for him but he would eat like his raw, he would gobble his raw. He loved it. So I remember Scott and I having a conversation about it and me saying, you know, it's a nutritionally complete food and blah, 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 and giving my whole spiel about it. And him just being like, you know what? I really think that we should look more into the raw feeding because he enjoys it. And you know, it just makes sense and stuff like that. And I did, I went and I looked more into it and we did, we, we did switch him. And I remember the conversation kind of months later. And he was like, you know what? I really commend you because it takes a lot for people to change their mind about things. But you know, you took that on board and could have said just immediately no. And I think at the time I probably did go, Oh, well, I don't know, you know, very conflicted about it because again, I thought it was a really great diet, but I understand how it's hard. And I am, as a person, I can be a little bit stubborn, (laughs) but also I think, (laughs) again, that, that knowledge and wanting to be like, but why, but why, but why? Um, yeah. So it's, it's hard. It's hard to change your minds. I get that. But at the same time, like just puts you in a rut where you can't improve. You can't gain more knowledge you can't improve whether it's completely outside of dog training or dogs in general but like just even the quality of your own life trying to be a better person to know more to do better if you can't kind of see outside of that life must be just so miserable and boring
1: I think it's again like again it's all what we've grown up with and what going against the grain but seeing people who are so stuck in always being right and um, anyone else, anyone who says different is, you know, the enemy um, if, you know, from whether it's political or religious or, you know, disagreeing about TV shows that, you know, you've got to have an open mind and seeing that and seeing how angry people get um, and then deciding, consciously that i do not want to be that way it's opened up a lot like i am not wanting to get political or anything but you know um learning i had to learn not to be homophobic and i had to learn not to be racist and i had to learn you know, not to be an absolute bigot and I had to learn about a lot of life and dog stuff and not judging people and not judging people's pasts things like that it was just crazy when you start to open up your mind and go someone teach me or someone plant a seed and when I get it I'm gonna research I'm gonna learn I'm gonna educate myself instead of shutting it down and saying no I believe this and so that's the only way it's ever going to be and it's just been it's just crazy how difficult it is to admit that you're wrong and to admit that your growing up has been uh, you know or your past or whatever you've been wrong and you just have to learn learn to accept that there might be some other truths what you have ingrained in you it's really, really difficult. I totally get where people come from, where, you know, all they know is how to electrocute a dog or all they know is how to leash pop a dog. And when you go to them and go, "Hmm, there might be a different way, how hard it is to go, no, this is how we, you know, this is how we stop a dog from pulling. And then to have them open their mind and go, actually, I can teach the dog to not pull, because it wants to be with me or by all these other different nice ways it's incredibly difficult to have someone start that process in their own mind if you know you know what i mean or where i'm coming from
0: absolutely i akin myself to a recovering perfectionist because i definitely have those traits of like that type A personality where everything needs to be, you know, I need to have control. I need to make sure that everything is perfect. And for a long time, if anything kind of deviated outside of that, it was, wow, I cannot even, I can't deal with this. And admitting that I was wrong. Oh no, that, that couldn't happen. Whereas like, you know, now if I have said something wrong if i've done something wrong if uh if you know even if i've done this the, the simplest thing like make a you know mistake on a i don't know spelled something wrong or i have no problem turning around and being like i made a mistake I, and I also not feeling bad about it because that's the yeah. other part i think is that we just feel like I would be like, oh my God, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. Like, how did I make that? And, and you know, kind of going down that spiral of, well, I can't let that happen again. You know, <laughs> and now I'm just like, eh, I made a mistake. So what? Like, you know, I'm not hurting anyone. I made a, mis- a spelling mistake. I made a wrong judgment about something. I now have more information and I'm happy to, you know, change my mind. That fixation and not being able to deviate from that is something that I definitely have, worked hard on. And I'm also a very introspective, reflective person. So I often will sit and think about situations that I've encountered, or, you know, maybe how I handled something and how that possibly didn't, I didn't handle that so well, or how would I, like to, if that presents itself again, how I would like to do something. And one thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately is something that my mom always would say and kind of teach us. And that is treat others how you want to be treated. And I think about that a lot. And that's something how I, I kind of dictate my life around that without even knowing it. And It is true. I mean, I try to treat people. I try to think about situations. How would I like somebody to say that to me? Or how would I like somebody to handle that situation if it was me? And sometimes that is good. And sometimes that gets me into conflict, I suppose, because I also, (laughs) it also creates a kind of misunderstanding or that kind of, you know, I was talking about with my brain, how it doesn't understand if something is, is off a little bit. I will think about, well, that's not what I would do. So why did they do this? <laughs> and, you know, Scott has yes. said to me several times, everyone's not you and everyone's not going to handle things the way that you would handle them. And I'm like, but I'm trying to do the best I can. So why wouldn't they want to want handle that in a really great way? And he's like, because that's not the way everyone thinks. So it's a, it's a bonus. And it's also kind of a conflict, some situations, there was a post that I did when you're talking about the, the need to use an aversive tool or that only kind of why do people do that? And there was a great quote that I made a meme out of, which was a Abraham um, Maslow quote, which was, I suppose it is tempting if the only tool you have is a hammer to treat everything as if it were a nail and i think that applies with not only dogs but us as as humans that you know this is the way that i perceive something and this is the way i'm going to handle it and if all you ever have is conflict and you don't you don't branch out and learn how to communicate and, and to take that breath, like you were talking about with, with Dave, you're always going to come out that with as a hammer. It's always going to be like, right, you know, how dare this happen? And I have to address this this way and there's no other way to address it. And it's just such an exhausting way to be as a human.
1: It is. It, like, it's like, it's so frustrating and you never, and I feel for the people, I feel for the owners who, would you know they're ignorant but they really would um, want to learn if they were given the opportunity or the nudge because the first walk I did with Hugo we we got to the end of my street which was four houses and back with him only a little bit pulling on the leash it was quite pulling but it wasn't quite healing and for me that was the least stressful walk I'd been on in about a year and the lack of frustration and the lack of anger was such a shock to me I got home and I just I was shaking I was like what happened like that was I felt so weird I felt like that was the lack of conflict on the walk was insane it just blew me away and I just don't think anyone realizes how relaxing you know life with your dog can be when you in sync and there isn't that conflict and you can communicate to your dog or both of you get the tools and the the timing with your reinforcements and whatever to communicate to the dog exactly what it is that you are hoping for the dog to do in that instance so it can get what it wants and you can get what you want and how relaxing it can be it's just crazy. Yeah, I think I think if everyone if everyone got a glimpse of that, I think we would have a lot less people who were actually advocating force. I think we'd get a we'd have a more clear divide where there's people who the people who were advocating for still are the ones who were doing it out of their own feelings of reinforcement when they do use aversives and the rest of the people. Who were on the bench, or the rest of the people who were just feeling frustrated and wanting a fix and just wanting help, uh, would end up being able to communicate to their dogs gently and nicely and both, you know, frustration free, conflict free. I reckon it would be, yeah, it'd be a crazy world.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, education is kind of at the heart of it because you, if for someone, you know, like you were saying kind of at the start where you're getting your information from, from different resources or from things you see on TV or from shock value, you know, like, I think you described it really well by saying, I think it was like soap opera type dog training where there is, there's like this huge conflict. And then this huge, everyone's happy at the end, except for the dog. Yeah. (laughs) And if we had more educational resources or, and I think it's something that I try to do with my social media because I look at that as a platform to communicate information to people, which sounds really (laughs) like, duh, but at the same time, I know people that just have their, you know, their businesses on different social media and it's just about the business. I have an, an ability to be able to communicate, you know, good information to people and why not use that? because I get so many messages from people saying thank you, or I didn't know that, or I've been following you for a while and I I appreciate your information and I've changed, you know, some of the ways that I'm doing stuff. And those are my favorite messages because, you know, I have, when you have social media, especially things like Instagram, like people can comment, you know, um, obviously, but at the same time, you, there's no other connection between that. So like, I don't know what people are doing on their end with that information. So to know that it is being useful and I'm not just (laughs) wasting my time creating memes is really, really nice because I'm just trying to help as many dogs as possible. And if that is, you know, happening, then, then fantastic. But and it's not to say that people that aren't doing that with their social media should necessarily be doing that but i i definitely believe that having that education factor is really the most important part of changing the way that we are with our dogs because the more people that utilize that the more information the more you know likelihood that people are going to see it and you don't have to create you know really cute funny you know visually stunning memes you literally could just put it as like a post-it or just literally type words and you don't know who's going to see that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think your, your page is it's amazing. You know, you know, I love to share your memes already and it's just getting the message out there. It's concise. It's there and anyone on Instagram all over the world can see it and whether they take that on board is up to them. But chances are, you know, six months time down the track, they might, something might happen and they might think back to something they saw on Instagram on your page. And that could influence how they treat that behavior at that time or how they choose to go down the behavioral adjustment path. And it's all, all how they how they look at, you know, a show on Netflix and how they you know assess whether or not it's uh, worthy of um, being watched. It's just that little seed that gets sown that could hopefully change one person or multiple people's journeys in little ways. And that's I think that's underrated.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even you don't even have to be a dog professional. Like you could be just the average kind of dog guardian who just, you know, loves dogs and feels passionate about something that you see, like just share it. Or I see some people who are starting to create their own stuff and they're not, it's not like they're revolutionizing, you know, the, the industry or even saying something that hasn't been said a million times before, but the, again, they don't know who's gonna see that and how that's gonna impact them, and you're absolutely right I mean, I've spoken to other professionals, and I know for myself that that impact that meme gets shared that information gets absorbed at some level before I was that kind of like all guns blazing, you know like this is the right way and blah blah blah, and that preacher mentality where, and I am passionate i you know this one of those Sorry. those characteristics of me is like. I get really animated and really passionate about stuff. But, you know, I've I've been learning to kind of dial that back a little bit because it's good to have standards. It's good to, you know, kind of stick to your values. Yeah, values. It's It's good, all of that. And that's not something I'm giving up. But what I am giving up is the intensity that it comes off with because I'm just finding that it's just not, it's not feeling comfortable for me anymore. Whereas before it was very much like that kind of, you know, Baptist preacher mentality where I'm like, heal with the power of positive (laughs) reinforcement. And now I'm a bit more like, you know, this is what it is. And you can take it, you can leave it. It's not, don't feel negative. Don't feel guilty. Because I think that's the other kind of co part that happened is people were starting to feel guilty if they were deviating out of, my dog's on a harness and my dog doesn't have a good recall and I'm not using a long line. Or, you know, I've had clients where (laughs) they are using things like a slip lead and they're not using it for training. They're maybe using it to just transfer their dog from one place to another. And I just happen to to see them out. And then the dog's on a slip lead and they, I can see, I can visibly see their discomfort in, in what is happening. And it's like, yeah, I have a slip lead with my dog. I u- I don't use them on Nero, but with Lycan I, I, yeah uh, to transfer him to the car and to the house or if I'm going to be doing some training and he's going to be off lead and I know that for a fact he's going to be on lead for 2 seconds, why am I going to put his harness on him for that? So it's not to say that you know you should feel this immense guilt if you're doing anything outside of what I deem as correct, I just don't want people hurting their dogs. I want them to train them yeah. with kindness. I want them to be educated and to the point where their dogs are having fantastic lives and equally they're having a great relationship. But that was the other part is, is having people feel less guilt and having a bit of wiggle room within that. And even though that was what I was already doing, I don't think I was conveying that very well on my social media. So you know, we, we all learn, we all progress. And if you're not progressing, you know, in, in anything, then again, I think that's a really, a really kind of boring and sad life, but yeah, even I have kind of thought I really need to, to tone it down a little bit. And it's, it actually was TikTok that, (laughs) that brought that to me. Yeah, I know. Shocking, isn't it? Because I, perfectly underestimated what that experience was going to be like. And I did go for the quick kind of a bit more in your face being, I suppose, inflammatory. And I just got hit with all these people, you know, kind of commenting things. And again, my mentality was to educate and to go all guns blazing. And then I remember one day I just was like, who, you know, who is this person telling me that, you know, a tool is, going to give great communication when i know this tool doesn't give good communication and i happened to click on a few profiles and i realized that these these people were children and i thought oh this is i don't want to hurt anyone i don't want anyone to feel and children you know when i say children i mean like teenagers and stuff and that's a very vulnerable time, you know. You yeah. and if somebody's talking to you, and I don't think anything I said was really like nah, I wasn't, you know, going off on them or anything, but I also was being very direct. And I think yeah. through text that can be misconstrued as being, you know, a little bit more forceful than maybe I intended. And the thought of those kids reading that and feeling any sort of negativity really affected me. And I thought, wow, you know what? That wasn't something that I experienced on any other social media platform. And that's not what I want to be doing. I, you know, again, it's all a learning curve. Like had I not had that experience and not actually did a little bit more digging, I wouldn't have come to that conclusion probably, or maybe I would have just much further down the line.
1: But maybe that's a, um, maybe that's a testament to you know the progression that we were talking about of going from that type a personality and always being right and i mean back in the day like maybe you would have just seen that and just stewed on it and uh dismissed it um whereas now you go wait who is this person who am i talking to i want to get to know them i want to see where they're coming from and you clicked on it and you saw it was a child and you instantly you know you adapted you said hang on something's wrong this is not the approach that I want and you admitted and you changed yeah I think that's I think that takes a lot I think that's a lot harder than what a lot of people will admit and even especially on social media where you don't know the person it's so hard to back down and it's so hard for people to go hang on, we're on the same page or hang on, I am coming off as abrasive with textlation, um, or hang on, maybe there's a better approach um, to this. Uh, it's really difficult. Um, and it, for you to admit that and then to act on it, I think that says a lot about you know, how far you've come. And I mean, I, I don't even know if I would be ready to be at that level where I am at now, I think that's that takes a lot of work and a lot of character development.
0: I mean, thank God for TikTok because I would I wouldn't have got that. And I mean, I clicked on and it wasn't just, you know, cause you kind of think like, who are you? And then you look at it and it's, it's somebody who's obviously very young, but it was, I mean, I'm talking multiple, like literally every profile of somebody telling me, you know, like even people saying like you're dumb or something like that. And I was like, what, what is this eloquent answer? You know, who's this coming from? <laughs> and, um, still finding that the majority of the people who and there weren't some you know some were were you know bona fide adults but a large majority were so yeah thank you tiktok because i wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had that revelation at all yeah
1: that's no, very interesting it's interesting too i think i think it's really hard uh, for people to to be able to make those changes I mean that's to me that's a subtle change um, in a positive way Um, but even making the massive changes of crossover training um, and looking back and I mean my crossover experience was incredibly fast so the people who I'm friends with today involved with their dogs today they would remember me as being someone who's incredibly forceful with their dogs and it's being able to look back and go I'm not a hypocrite for learning I'm not a hypocrite for changing. I'm a person who has been educated and accepted the education and the new knowledge and acted on it.
0: Absolutely. A hypocrite wouldn't even cross my mind. I would go, wow, you know what? That person, that's a person to kind of look up to. That's a person or, or to strive to be like, because it is hard to to make that change. And equally, when, when I had Sean on, she was expressing the same thing is to feel like, that discomfort with being like, "Wow, am I a fraud?" Because this is what I was saying one minute, and now I'm saying something completely different. And that's evolution. If you're not evolving <laughs> as a person, like what again, what's the point? you you stay stagnant. And you often find that the evolution goes more on on the positive side. Like it's very rare, right? You come across somebody and it's like they've de-evolved. <laughs> it's usually in the positive. <laughs> you know, in a positive way. The other thing I did want to ask you though is your mental health. How did you feel when you were using those aversive methods?
1: Um, honestly, and it's still look, I still look backwards and I'm sure of it. I, I felt reinforced. Yeah. I definitely felt like I was doing the right thing. And it was that reinforcement of instant fix in my eyes. I mean, it didn't fix anything, but, you know, you you do something aversive and it seems to fix it or you use an anti-barking collar and the dog stops barking. And this kind of instant satisfaction thing instead of like, and I was thinking it at the time and I remember the exasperation, for instance, with the anti-barking collar, the exasperation that I felt, Um, going oh my god the neighbours are going to you know report Benjamin as being a nuisance Um, and I never it never looking back it never crossed my mind to lock the dog door so he couldn't run outside and bark and it never crossed my mind to give him enrichment or just cuddle on the couch with him while dogs were walking past the back fence it never crossed my mind but because he was running in and out barking my instant thought was stop the barking and so the first thing that popped into my mind was the most direct way to in my mind stop the barking and it felt incredibly reinforcing um using that horrible device in the dog and it worked and it was only uh, a few months later that I started to see the fallout when my dog park dog suddenly started uncontrollable aggression at every dog it that barked because it was so used to unpleasant things happening every time it saw a dog at the back fence and it was just it, it didn't the 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 um I didn't put two and two together for at least another year after Benjamin had been passed on euthanized but it was at the time it was incredibly reinforcing and it felt very satisfying and looking back I can see exactly where it went wrong And I can see all the fallouts and it's just uh, it's a stark reminder now when I can feel myself starting to get trigger stacked because humans do as well and we all have bad days. But when I can start seeing myself get trigger stacked and I can feel like I'm about to lash out at the dogs and I know I just I have to get up, I go to another room and I just wait wait for it to all go away because i'll feel i'll feel real good at the time because it's that release of anger um and that instant satisfaction um but then the fallout is huge and then often like if i accidentally lose my temper these days um which unfortunately is still something that i that i unfortunately do once every now and then i'll i'll yell at my partner or my partner will yell at me, I'll yell at the dogs, uh, or yell where the dogs are around, rather. Um, And I I cry afterwards. (laughs) The the look on the faces and, you know, the betrayal. I mean, I get teary just talking about it. Uh, It's awful. It's really awful. Um, Thinking about, you know, how pleasant everything is and how everything works together how the dogs trust me um and then to raise my voice or uh have a breakdown where i i can't control my emotions and then seeing the looks on the dog's faces of shock um even fear when they see you know me it just oh it's mortifying now i think that's i think that's also how far i've come as well like disassociating myself from my childhood i Don't want anything to do with that. I don't want to be anything like that. And thinking now that I've uh, now that I've moved away from using that violence all the time. It was every five minutes. Every five minutes, I'd find something to yell at the dogs for, or hit the dog, or kick the dog, or choke the dog. I'd always find something. Um, And now that it's such a so it's so out of my mind. I would never choke the dog ever. I would. I'd never want to yell at the dog. I never hit them, you know? So when I do raise my voice, it's so out of place. And all I can picture in my head when I see the dogs is how I felt as a kid. Um, And it's just that now it's just completely different emotions. Now it's, yeah, now it's awful. Um, So I can, I can see where people are coming from when they, when they choke a dog and it works and they go okay so i'm going to keep choking it and they feel good about themselves i totally get that i understand it see where they're coming from but when you can find a better way to do something can you can find a way to be kind to a, a animal um, or someone that's weaker than you like a kid or a new colleague at work when you can find a nicer way to go about something why wouldn't you and when you do you'd feel so, so much better and so much more at ease looking back than if you were to cause that conflict and that frustration and that tension and that bond breakdown um, simply for the instant gratification.
0: Yeah. It would be interesting to know about how many kind of like force-free or fear-free and all of those, you know, positive kind of circles, like how many people have actually experienced punishment and abuse in their, in their kind of, you know, lives, because I know for me personally, that is the driving force. I can't stand anything like that. I don't like making fun of people. I've never liked making fun of people. I don't like when I see people making fun of people. I even don't, I'm not, even if I'm having a disagreement, say with somebody in the, in the past, I never want to hurt their feelings. Like it's a really weird thing. Cause I could literally really dislike a person and not want to hurt their feelings. It's such a weird <laughs> dichotomy. I have no idea why, but it is so ingrained in me to just not, I just don't want to do harm. And, you know, I might, I might go fly off the handle. I might say things which might hurt someone, but if I know that that has hurt their feelings, it weighs so heavy on me. And it's something I've never been able to escape. (laughs) (laughs) And it's the same with dogs. I mean, I can't, it just really, really impacts me. And I hate, and and also that falls in with the whole, like, you know, people not being like me, because I think, how could you do that and not feel guilt about it? Not feel, you know, how do you go to sleep at night being yeah it's a good day of like you know (laughs) hitting my dog or you know I just can't that would weigh so so heavily and I would feel so such a tremendous amount of guilt for that
1: yeah yeah I I, yeah it's really weird looking back and um yeah I think I think there's a lot of different things that come into play Mm -hmm. um and I (sighs) I don't even know how to explain it I genuinely genuinely adored my dogs and I don't get like now looking at people beating their dogs uh and they chain them outside and all that and I can you know you can tell they're not that bonded but it was so weird for me being in that position and I'd, I'd spoon my dog every night to go to sleep I'd pay for as much medicine as I could afford for his anxiety I'd take him everywhere with me you know I'd I'd do anything for this dog but I just couldn't couldn't get my mind around at initially training without being horrible to him and I just thought that's the way it was and you know it's crazy that I could be so adoring of this dog and so attached to this dog and yet hurt it so often um, thinking that I was doing the right thing and feeling good about it. Um, And it's just, I don't know, maybe that's, maybe that's what my parents thought love was. Um, But I, I, yeah, that's it's to me, it's not love. And I think, I think the point is when you start to learn and people start to like, if the dog, Hugo saying to me you know this isn't working (laughs) and me being able to afford a trainer was the pivotal point for me but I feel like if a kid was to come to me and go you know I'm I'm getting traumatized by this that would be enough of a time to change and go this is clearly not love you know um but I don't know I I'm just relieved I'm relieved that I was lucky enough to get the opportunity to afford that first trainer and start my path. Otherwise, goodness knows what I'd be doing now. I just, I don't want to even think about that. Um, but yeah, learning and being able to afford that first trainer and get that first tidbit of information that was non-confrontational and just go, Oh my God, this works. And just start down the path of going, the nicer I am and the more consistent I am, the more he listens and the more he understands. And realising that there was absolutely no need under the sun to be nasty to my dog. It was crazy. But I just hope more people go on that journey and more people find that way on their own or with the help of the internet um, and with the help of various trainers. um, And they just, I hope more people... Pick up on it instead of feeling like it's it's been this way for X amount of years, so it's always going to be this way. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, yeah. You if you don't know, you don't know. Like, how could you? You know, it's almost like creating like the wheel. Like, how do you know how to do something different if nothing at all enters your kind of sphere Mm. of doing that? And you know, partially we are kind of to blame with the the TV shows that come out because when you see that kind of stuff and you see that it's working and again that emotional roller coaster of you know conflict and resolution it's you know that's all you have and a lot of people I mean we were talking the other day um, in clubhouse about you know different kind of organizations that promote force-free and and fear-free training and it it kind of dawned on me because somebody had asked about if there were organizations like that and how to find these places And for me, like in my little bubble, it's, yeah, of course there are. But to other people, (laughs) but to other people, it's like those places. They don't even know to look for organizations that promote force-free. It's like, they're just hopping from person to person to person. And if they happen to come across that information, then it's like, oh, I didn't know that there was this, you know, organization that, you know, I could find lots of trainers who are promoting these types of methods. And again, that just that little like tidbit of information changes radically the, the, the direction that they're, they're headed. So it is difficult. I, I appreciate that—that that it's really difficult to to have any kind of information come your way, which revolutionizes maybe the way that you're you're thinking or the approach that you're you're taking.
1: As crazy as it is, in that whole time, I was firmly firmly believing I was a positive handler. Uh, there was a puppy class at my one of the clinics I was working at, and it was all marketed as positive reinforcement. And they did all the handling that I did. So it was a lot of alpha roles. Um, There was a lot of choking. Um, There was a little bit of treating, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm. And it was very interesting thinking that that was positive-based and being self-assured and going, yeah, this is exactly what I'm doing. Um, I didn't know anything about any sort of other organizations or any sort of types of training, like the whole Force 3 thing forced free training I didn't hear about at all um for quite some time um and once I once I did find it I was like gee you know this is this is this is interesting it's new it's very radical to what my thinking is at the moment but you know it opened my eyes it's very interesting
0: yeah it's it's funny that, that you mentioned that that you went to a class that was promoting that and thinking that was what you were doing and then <laughs> it's like yeah. what is this magic? Like what is this? Like, <laughs> I'm already doing that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I was like I I was very I was very comfortable thinking I was a positive handler, but it's it's just it's what's marketed and um even now if you try and you know screen any number of um trainers websites all over the world it's a matter of nitpicking through the through their descriptions uh for keywords or buzzwords which might indicate to you that they are using heavy aversives but they're telling everyone that they're positive yeah and it's really difficult for new handlers new trainers new owners who have just got you know maybe a rescue dog or a puppy and their hands are full to be able to go through everything and go hey this is a heavily qualified scientific based trainer versus this is a um uh you know this is just a uh self-proclaimed caesar milan they can't tell the difference and it's it's hard enough for someone like i'm sure it's hard enough for you as well as it is for me to you know stare through pages and pages of Um, trainers sites to find keywords to go yes this one is a trustworthy trainer they're worth an email or no don't go to this person they're just gonna put a shock collar on your dog it's hard
0: (laughs) and I think I mean you yes and I think that's why like on my website I make it as clear as possible like this is what I do and I'm sure tr- that's another kind of aspect of the education, which I really try to, to get across to people is that like, you know, if you don't see, if you don't pretty much immediately see the things that you should be looking for. So like, you know, terms like force-free or fear-free or reward-based or even certain organizations, if that is not abundantly clear, click off, like end that, because that's, It should be, and if you're trying to really search for it and you're trying to find it, that's it's. I don't think that that's the person that you should, you know, eh, devote your time to because. I know for a fact that I try to make it abundantly clear. Like I could not imagine someone going to any of my social media kind of channels and going, what kind of trainer is she? (laughs) Like, what does she (laughs) use? Like, I just want it to be like a neon sign, you know, immediately. And I think a lot of my colleagues do as well. Um, So if you're not seeing that, that to me is an immediate no, because what's the point really? Like, you know, it should be abundantly clear. But yeah, I, I agree. I mean, there was, um, there was someone who, and I forget who it was, unfortunately, but there was someone who actually shared on their stories with, um, the, the profiles of different trainers who were balanced trainers. And it was shocking because in that whole, you know, kind of series of, of profiles that she was sharing and she didn't share who the, the actual, um, who the person was, but, there was no, men. it was like things that were just, you know, not even associated to dogs or I had dogs all my life. Or, you know, one of them I think was something like uh, they had a a path that they were going on as their career that got messed up. So then they started working with dogs. It wasn't like you know, that they had put in lots of education and time and energy and, you know, studied with so-and-so and, and, you know, done stuff that it wasn't anything like that. And that again, to me is like so sad that somebody could, that people feel comfortable to put that on their website. And also that people read that and go, yeah, this is the person I want to work with. When in other kind of sectors of, of psychology and mental health and education we're looking for people who have certifications and that's just not the thing that we're doing with dogs and you know it really really should be
1: yeah I mean someone drew the comparison the other day uh, that I also saw online and it was basically what you just said uh, if you saw if you saw a dentist, who said he had teeth all his life would you go to him (laughs) or would you go to the one who went to dental school and I'm like yes (laughs) I want the one who has the list of qualifications and you know the webinars they've gone to and the diplomas and degrees and certificates they've gotten and years and you know all the information of how much knowledge they've or how much effort they've put into furthering their own knowledge, not the person who says, I can stand over a dog so I can handle yours.
0: Yeah. I mean, by that equivalent, anybody could be like a psychiatrist because we're all around people. Yeah. So, I mean, yes. like, you know, you're as qualified as I, I am. I have a brain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I happen to be human. Therefore, I can do it. Like, nah, I don't I don't think so. Nobody wants me coaching them anyway. On on humans, <laughs> dogs, yes. Humans, yeah. You know, we're all we're all making do, really. Um, <laughs> I mean, I I just want to thank you, like, for sharing your story because I know how difficult it can be, um, and how uncomfortable sometimes it is to to talk about you know, your past and the things that you've experienced both, you know, as a child, but also your relationships with your dogs, because, you know, and reflecting on that and being able to admit where, where someone is wrong or where you've gone wrong is huge. So thank you so much for, for sharing your story and, you know, being just brutally honest about it.
1: Well, thank you for having me. It's yeah, like you said, it's very difficult to talk about. Um, but yeah, all all I'm hoping for is that hopefully someone else can, you know, hear this and maybe be feeling the same way. I mean, I'm still going to be educating myself, and I'm going to look back on this in ten years' time and go, "Gee, Sasha, you were ignorant." But <laughs> I'm hoping, I'm hoping that it's I still keep learning and keep progressing in the same way.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Doglogical podcast. If you would like more information about anything that you've heard in this episode, such as how do you get your dog started on a different training method, you can message me on any of my social media platforms. If you don't want to message me directly, you can also just send me an email or leave a voice message. The information on how to do both is on my website, rplusdogs.com. Remember, you only do as well as the information that you currently have. When you know better, you can do better. Thanks again for listening.